0: How often do you think about the Roman Empire? Honestly, at least three or four times a week. No, you don't. I'm serious. Dead serious? Yeah. <laughs> Either about their armor, their swords, the roads, um, their armies. You're making this up. I'm not even kidding. Do, have you seen TikTok? Mm-hmm. You legit do. You think about the Roman yeah. Empire?
1: Yeah. How often do you think of the Roman Empire? Last fall, thousands of women posted short video clips of themselves asking their fathers, husbands, boyfriends, uncles, and grandpas this very question. The trend went viral, as they say, with many men saying they think about the Roman Empire quite often. But what if, instead, the question was, how often do you think of the Parthian Empire? Many gentlemen like myself would probably say they've never heard of the Parthian Empire. I hadn't until quite recently. In preparation for another interview I had with New Testament scholar Dr. Craig Keener, I stumbled across the Parthians in Keener's Bible background commentary, quite surprised to learn that the Parthians were Rome's most formidable foe. The Parthians existed for almost five centuries, spanning from 247 B.C. to 224 A.D. Keener notes in his background commentary on the 19th chapter of Revelation that Parthian kings used the title King of Kings and rode on white horses in battle. Revelation's use of such descriptions of Jesus in Revelation 19, Keener observes, quote, employs the most feared imagery of the day to communicate its point. The pretentious claims of the emperor and all who were like him would be nothing before the true and divine king from heaven, end quote. In 53 BC, for example, the Roman Empire suffered its first decisive loss against the Parthians in the Battle of Carhe. The Parthians were said to be masterful and deadly archers as well, and Rome could never finally defeat them. Romans, however, in their propaganda, portrayed the Parthians as an uncultured, barbaric people. But aside from a few scant references to the Parthians by the Greeks, the Romans, and the Chinese, little is known today about this vast nation of people. They are mentioned once in the second chapter of the Book of Acts as some Parthians were present on the day of Pentecost. But at this point you might be wondering what this brief history of the Parthians has to do with the large-scale structures in the universe we've been discussing. Fair enough. I think the parallel for us today is that our culture has little or no conception of the terror of an all-powerful militaristic sovereign who showed little or no mercy to the nations he and his armies would conquer. Rome's propaganda tended to ignore or downplay the significance of the Parthians and their power. Caesar, rather than the Parthian king of kings, was to be honored and feared above all. We today have likewise created for ourselves a kind of atheistic and secular propaganda against the King of Kings, the risen Christ Jesus. We have forgotten him, ignored him, belittled him, and have removed virtually any remembrance of him from our public and private institutions. Our government hardly acknowledges him, our scientific institutions barely take any thought of him, and he is no longer the foundation of our schools or their curriculum. Even in our own private lives, we've sort of domesticated his sovereignty, his power, and his majesty into comfortable, easy-to-digest doctrinal statements. In all of the clips I watched about how often men think of the Roman Empire, I didn't find one who mentioned that it was the Empire which crucified Jesus. when John encountered the risen and glorified Jesus, he was terrified. When I saw him, John says, I fell at his feet like a dead man. Daniel, Ezekiel, and Isaiah in the Old Testament likewise saw a vision of God, which frightened them to the point of barely being able to stand or speak. Who is the King of glory, the Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle, proclaims the 28th Psalm. And in the 19th chapter of Revelation, John writes that he saw, quote, Heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on it is called faithful and true, and in righteousness he judges and wages war, end quote. Today, in one very real sense, we are also seeing the heavens opened. Astronomers are continually making astonishing, mind-blowing discoveries for which words are finally inadequate to convey. Science tells us what they think it's all made of, but they can't finally tell us what it all means. Like the Romans who disparaged the Parthian king of kings, we too take little or no account for the king of kings who sat upon a white horse poised to judge and wage war in righteousness. For John's audience, a king of kings and a white horse, arrayed for battle, would have certainly invoked the terror and fear many had of the Parthians. But John's concern was not the Parthians, but the one far greater than the sum total of all earthly nations and kings. If the Parthian king of kings struck terror into the hearts of Greeks and Romans, how much more so should Jesus as the king of kings and lord of lords make us tremble and fear? These massive cosmic structures being uncovered today by astronomers should serve as reminders to all of us of the glory and the majesty and the power of the God whom we claim to serve. Elsewhere in Revelation, John describes Jesus as the lion of the tribe of Judah, not a tame lion, as C.S. Lewis says. Yes, of course, Jesus is merciful, compassionate, slow to anger, and does not treat us as our sins deserve. But he is also holy, powerful, majestic, righteous, awesome, and quite a terrifying sight to behold in all of his resurrected glory. So if these massive structures in the universe leave us somewhat speechless, how much more so will standing in the presence of the one who created them make us tremble? Come and see.
0: If we're speechless by just the creation, then we should uh, be humble before God,
1: the creator of it all. What's it going to be like? We have a taste of what some men, Ezekiel, Isaiah, John, Daniel, when they encountered God's holiness, his righteousness, the unmitigated, revealed, glorified Jesus. Yeah. They were all terrified. Yeah. All of them. We're we're not like, hey, fist bump, Jesus, you know, and John was the disciple that Jesus (laughs) loved. And he sees the risen Christ and he's like, I can't talk. I'm I'm a dead man. Daniel was out of breath. He was he was terrified. He had to all of them had to be touched and strengthened to even stand up and say anything. Yes. And I right. think I think creation, what we're talking about, should remind us of God's power and his majesty to such an extent that we too should just kind of put the brakes on our complaining and think about my pastor's sermon this Sunday was thinking about the, the acronym of JOY, Jesus Others Than Yourself. Jesus should always come first in our in our thinking. And so a lot of times when I complain, I know I'm putting myself first. And um, Jesus not really even thinking about his righteousness or his majesty or his glory. But when you really stop to think about it, like I was thinking about this last night all day, working on this, contemplating these structures, it changed my mind. From the complaining to, okay, this is about God and his glory and his holiness and I need to put aside my complaining and focus on this for his glory for the sake of other people and for the glory of Christ and Jesus so uh, that was my little personal object lesson (laughs) in preparing for this is, is the meditating on God's universe it always helps me to refocus
0: you know yeah it's good to get get our thoughts on God and off of our little Our little world and our our our, what seems like big problems to us get get smaller if you consider God. Right. Um, I was going to read some from Isaiah chapter forty. Yes. So there's a number of verses in this chapter that kind of deal with God's greatness, and I thought it'd be good to go over that. Absolutely. So I'm going to start with Isaiah 40 verse 12. Uh, So uh, we've we've talked about these before at different times probably but um all right isaiah 40:12. who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand and marked off the heavens by the span and calculated the dust of the earth by the measure and weighed the mountains in a balance and the hills in a pair of scales who has directed the spirit of the lord or as his counselor has informed him With whom did he consult, and who gave him understanding? And who taught him the path of justice, and taught him knowledge, and informed him of the way of understanding? Mm. Now, I want to go down uh, a little farther down to verse 21, and uh, go on here. Do you not know? Have you not heard? Has it not been declared to you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he who sets above the circle of the earth, and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers, who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them out like a tent to dwell in. He it is who reduces rulers to nothing, who makes the judges of the earth
1: meaningless. And then there's... uh 40-26, Forty twenty six, which is one of my favorites from chapter 40. Yeah,
0: I was going to go on to 25 and 26. Yes. So, uh, verse 25. To whom then will you liken me, that I would be his equal, says the Holy One. Lift up your eyes on high and see who has created these stars. The one who leads forth their hosts by number, he calls them all by name. Because of the greatness of his might and the strength of his power, not one of them is missing. Hmm.
1: And then he goes on to say how if he knows and names all the stars, how much more is he aware of where we are and yes. who, and who we are yes. and what's going on in our lives. You know, that's, that's and the right. next the next verse he talks about Jacob and Israel. Don't you know? Hey, look, I know all the stars, I name them all. You're not missing from my sight either. You know, and God has like I was talking about my own situation yesterday. God has a very gentle way of reminding me you know when i sin or when he's not particularly pleased yes he heard my complaining he sure did hear my complaining yes and he reminds me in a very gentle way you know um, but i appreciate getting ready for the podcast yesterday because it really helped me to to refocus on this so we're considering god's majesty i love psalm 50 verse 6 too it says because it, it says that the heavens declare god's righteousness and that uh psalm 19 of course we always talk about psalm 19 the heavens declare the glory of God. So we're talking about things that reveal God's righteousness, his glory, his majesty and his power. And I think these structures really do remind us of that, don't they?
0: Yes, and and the Bible emphasizes really that God cares about us more than everything else in his creation. Right. The stars. It's human beings that he cares about
1: the most. Right. All the stars that we're talking about are going to go away. Yes. You and I and everybody else are going to remain. That's right. So we are much more valuable than sparrows or stars. But God uses sparrows and stars to remind us of his majesty first and foremost. Right. And then of his love and of his care and of his covenant to us. Because um, I think it's in uh, Jeremiah 31 where God likens the fixed order of the heavens to his love and covenant faithfulness to us. Yes. Yeah. So um, so these structures, I mean, I, I was thinking of like words like citadel fortress. I don't know what else you'd call them, uh, <laughs> but huh. they, they're just kind of a reminder of just how beautiful the new heavens and the new earth will be. So, yeah, so to scientists,
0: these things, these large structures, are multiple billions of light years in size, they were unexpected because there's an assumption. That it would all form naturalistically by gravity and natural forces, right? Mm -hmm. But God can create anything of any size. That's right. You know, Dan, people used to talk about the question, uh, can God make uh, uh, something so big that he couldn't lift it? (laughs)
1: <laughs> you remember yes people used to talk about middle that. school students would ask Some, me that somehow question somehow that was a question yeah. that was forgotten over the years Mr. Ray can God make something he can't live you know
0: yeah but, but the answer is no <laughs> cuz he's not limited he's but.
1: not contrary either he, he God is. does not function in a, in a way that is contrary to his nature right so even God can't make a a, a circle, a square, and a, a right angle into, you know, less than 90 degrees, you know. I mean, he doesn't contradict himself. In other right. Reason. He works in conjunction with his own logic.
0: So if he, if he wants to make a, a ring of galaxies over a billion light years across, he can do that. Mm-hmm. And maybe there's more of them out there. We don't right.
1: know. Now, one of the things that my kids used to ask me when I taught school, and I would bring something like this up, you know, Mr. Ray, the universe is so big, does that mean God is huge? I said, No. It don't, we don't want to think of God. We like to think of things in terms of quantity and size. But, but what, what I think the universe tells us is that God is a lot different. He, he doesn't have to be huge, but, but it's, it's wrong to sort of relate the spirit of the Lord, I think, in understanding our nature who God's nature is. To just size. Yeah,
0: size does not apply to God.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's not it's not a... But he
0: exists everywhere.
1: It's not a capacity that, that, that uh, we need to look at. But right. I wanted but, to, but he's
0: not part of the universe.
1: No, he's not part of the universe. So he
0: can He can act into the universe and do whatever he wants to do.
1: But he is separate and transcendent yes. above the universe. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, I like the psalm that says... Uh, uh, I, I got this from this book I've been reading, uh, The Glory of God... <laughs> Um, it's on Crossway, and um, it's a bunch of different authors. And one of them says that quote, the glory of God, is the compass that keeps all our theologizing, pastoring, and Christian living oriented in the right direction, toward God, and not toward ourselves. Yeah. The pull in the opposite direction—that means focusing on ourselves—is so strong that the psalmist repeats, "Not unto us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name." Give glory. So contemplating creation yes. helps us to think of, of not to us, God, not to us, but to you be the glory. So let's, um, let's 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 re- refresh our minds about some of these structures we talked about in 2017, and uh, talk a little bit more about um, how they're transcending the 1.2 billion light year structure size limit. Uh, in current Big yes. Bang models. So, so, what?
0: We mentioned the uh, giant arc, and uh, if I remember correctly, I think it's about 3 billion light years. 3.3 across. billion light years across. Yes. Now, back in 2017, we talked about a number of these galaxy clusters, and uh, one of them that started this discussion was called the Great Wall, and then there's been others that are called walls, mm-hmm. and it's just um, clusters of galaxies in a kind of lined up, mm-hmm. and uh, they are sometimes called walls. There was one called the Boss Great Wall. And it says it's about 1.2 billion light years long. It's about the same size as the ring Mm -hmm. that we talked about.
1: Now, Boss is is galaxies, right? Yes. That was one of the first strings of galaxies discovered. Now, that fits within the... uh, That that goes right up to the the limit, doesn't it? Yeah. Right up to the cosmological limit of 1.2 billion years. So, okay, here's a structural size limit. The Boss Great Wall. And then...
0: One that I was very fascinated with is uh, a couple of different clusters of quasars. Hmm. So how can how can quasars form clusters? That's a question.
1: Quasars clustered together. So That's Quasars have
0: high redshift. Mm-hmm. They're very very powerful uh, bright objects, and usually scientists say they are. They think they're coming from a black hole that gives off a beam of light in a certain direction. So there's
1: a are, are you talking about the, uh, the the one with the funny name now? The the hu- uh, there,
0: there's a couple of them, but there was one called the. Um LQG,
1: the, the huge the LQG. Huge, I love this one. The huge the, large. The huge large. The
0: huge. It sounds like the name of a big hamburger in <laughs> Texas. Or For, yeah,
1: it does. <laughs> Forget grandes and uh, large sizes and yeah. super sizes. This is the huge large. And how many how many quasars are in this? Uh, Seventy three
0: quasars. Seventy
1: three quasars. So so conceivably these are all powered by black holes. All squeezed together over what? What? What's the length of the string? Uh,
0: well, it's in a different unit. It's, it says 1,240 megaparsecs. Um, a parsec is 3.2. A
1: mega 3.26 light years. Light years so a megaparsec is 3.26 million light years. So
0: 1,240 million parsecs.
1: I, I'm just. My head is dizzy. It's very big. Um so a wall of quasars or a string of quasars. Yeah, a string of
0: quasars and there's another one near near it that has 34 quasars. So two two different clusters that are not far away from each other.
1: Quasar clusters. Quasar clusters. Wow. I was thinking you you mentioned the term uh, about how some of these structures are called have the term wall yeah in them, right? It brought to mind a verse, as you were talking about this, it brought to mind a verse from Isaiah talking about Zion or Jerusalem's new glory in Isaiah 62. And uh, Isaiah says, God says through the prophet, On your walls, O Jerusalem, I have appointed watchmen. (laughs) So here we are, Wayne. All day and all night they will never keep silent you who remind the lord take no rest for yourselves and give him no rest until he establishes and makes jerusalem a praise in the earth.
0: So, Dan, that that kind of makes you and I the watchman. We're we calling are, attention to this. We huh? are drawing.
1: We are on the walls, <laughs> calling attention to them. <laughs> That's right. For the sake of the glory of the Lord, who will one day establish a new heavens a new earth and a new Jerusalem. Yes. How about that? So that, these walls are reminding us of the future glory of God's the walls of God's cities. Yes, and uh,
0: of oh, oh. God's greatness and what He created. So there's there, a, there's one that I didn't even know of until recently. It's called the South Pole Wall. I don't have the numbers on how big it is. The but, South
1: Pole. Wall. But uh,
0: should we talk about the really biggest one?
1: Well, I thought we could. Um, before we before we do, we'll do a little drum roll here. But uh, the I think I think it's important to to talk about it a little bit before we get to the largest one, Wayne. The speculation involved in how these structures form currently. The current explanations involve dark matter. Yes. Basically, the, the scientists are postulating or inferring that in order for these things to have formed as rapidly as they did or to become as big as they did, yeah, they needed some kind of matter that we cannot presently test or see directly with any kind of instrument in the toolkit of the most highly technical telescope or meter or satellite there's matter out there that we cannot see that doesn't interact with normal matter that makes up about 20 percent 27 percent of the known universe but we can't see it we can't test it but it must be there because well look at these structures how else would they have come together unless there was this invisible dark matter yes yeah, so this
0: is part of the theory and i'm kind of on the fence on dark matter There's some good arguments for it, and yet, on the other hand, the particle physicists who like to detect particles can't detect anything like dark matter. Yeah. So, on the one hand, there's some indirect arguments for it that are pretty good, but
1: uh, we can't directly measure it. Right, right. So, um, I wanted to also, uh, before we get into the big structure, I want to give people a bigger picture of... um, kind of what cosmologists are saying about these filaments of galaxies and these clusters and clusters of galaxies. Basically, if you back out, if you, if you had a camera and you could just back out and have a God's eye view of the, of the universe, in a sense, cosmologists are suggesting that our universe will look like foam. If you've seen, you know, bubbles in a sink when you're doing the dishes. Yeah. That that galaxies are on filaments like strings and in between are large empty voids. Yeah. Like bubbles. Right. And um, so Paul Parsons, who is a former cosmologist and theoretical physicist, he's now a science writer, wrote a book in 2018, The Beginning and the End of Everything. He said this about the structure uh, of these galaxies and superclusters of galaxies. He says, they're all organized into a gigantic network of filaments... That thread the universe like a cosmic web. Yeah. These filaments are typically hundreds of millions of light years long, as we've been noticing. They mark the intersections between great sheets or walls of matter, yeah. themselves separated by voids, each hundreds of millions of light years across. So there's a like a there's a great void in the constellation of, of Bootes, the, the herdsman. There's, yeah. there's nothing really in that. It's empty. These give the universe on the very largest scales. A texture resembling that of foam, and yeah. that's that's what the universe seems to be on the largest scale. So, Wayne, let's get into the biggest of all known clusters, and and it, and it, how how much it exceeds the current 1.2 billion light year structure limitation.
0: Okay, what this, is this? this Drum is, roll, please. This
1: is called the Hercules Corona Borealis Great Wall. Now. Just a real quick reminder about why it's Hercules-Corona Borealis, because that's the, those are the two constellations in the night sky in which this massive object stretches. It stretches from the Hercules constellation through the Corona Borealis constellation.
0: It stretches a long way across the sky. It does. Uh, across multiple constellations. Yes. And um, I'm trying to get the, the exact... Size of it here, but it's uh, 10 billion light years across. 10 billion
1: light years. Uh, About
0: 10 billion light years. So this is. We were talking about that theoretical limit being about 1.2. So this is way beyond
1: that. I have a quote from um, uh, December of 2015, Journal of Astronomy and Astrophysicists. The science involved in the discovery of the hercules corona borealis great wall in the introductory abstract of their finding said this quote several large structures including the sloan great wall we didn't mention that the huge large quasar group we talked about that and a large gamma ray burst cluster referred to as the hercules corona borealis great wall appear to exceed the maximum structural size predicted by universal inflationary models the, very, the existence of very large structures such as these might necessitate cosmological model modification. Yes. This cluster provides support for the existence of very large-scale universal heterogeneities. That means things that are not in accordance with the assumptions that we have been making about the rest of the universe.
0: Yes, and they will bring up in this discussion the uh, what's called the cosmological principle. Mm-hmm. We, were, we were describing like the, a plane flying over Texas at night, and the idea was that if if you could see the universe on the biggest scale, they would expect the the lights to kind of evenly be, distributed. be
1: uniformly distributed. Right.
0: But that's not that's not the way Texas is, right? It's if like were, our Texas geologist friend, assuming
1: yeah. uniform distribution of everything in the world being like Texas. It's not. And,
0: and it turns out it's not really how the universe is either. Right. So I question the cosmological principle, uh, and what especially from these new findings, these super massive clusters. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I, there's uh, there a couple of paragraphs I'd like to read here. Dan, sure. About this Hercules Corona Borealis. Now, they... They did some research on this with another kind of cluster from something called gamma-ray bursters.
1: Gamma-ray bursters. It sounds like a video game.
0: They're GRBs. They are... Or an another, energy drink. Another, <laughs> they, they are energy, but uh, they're massive, and they don't know exactly what they are. They talk about, well, maybe there was a supernova and a collapse of a and it's and a, the collapse and an explosion of a star at the same time maybe
1: they are aliens firing their guns at us but
0: so so they it stretches the scientists imagination to figure out how something could give off so much energy as a gamma ray burster mm. but there's actually a cluster of gamma ray bursters
1: that's incredible
0: and they this is how they were studying this Hercules Corona Borealis great wall so here here's a, from a scientific paper and I've, I've got the reference for this on my website, but uh, the GRB cluster at Z equals 2, that's the redshift number, appears to identify the presence of a larger angular structure that covers almost one-eighth of the sky. This encompasses half of the constellations of Bootes, Draco, and Lyra in all of the constellations of Hercules and Corona Borealis. This structure has been given the popular name of the Hercules Corona Borealis Great Wall, or HER CRBGW.
1: <laughs> another Great Wall. If, if you
0: want an acronym,
1: another Great Wall Reflecting Light.
0: And another paragraph here. So we estimate the size of HER CRBGW to be about 2,000 to 3,000 megaparsecs across. Few limits on its radial thickness exist other than because it appears to be confined uh, between Z of 1.6 and Z of 2.1 redshift. The large size makes the structure inconsistent with current inflationary universal models because it is larger than the roughly 100 megaparsec limit thought to signify the end of greatness at which large-scale structure ceases.
1: That's incredible. So
0: that's the same problem we were talking about uh, on the 1.2 billion light years, but they're using a different unit there.
1: You know, Wayne, the Bible talks about how, um, in trying to help us understand who God is and what the kingdom of the heavens is like. Yeah. Jesus used parable and story. Yeah. And the Bible uses metaphor all the time. Right. So I was I composed I was looking at some of the uh, metaphors that God uses to describe both His kingdom and Himself. And there are a ton of metaphors from nature. The Revelation five, I think it says that Jesus is the lion of the tribe of Judah. Yeah. He's described as the lamb uh-huh. of God. So God is both like a lion and a lamb. And a lamb, very gentle but very ferocious. Yeah. Like an eagle. Yeah. Psalm ninety one. Like a hen when Jesus is over Jerusalem <laughs> right, and yeah. wanting to gather yes. his people together. He is living water. He's the bread yeah. of life. He's the vine. He's the door. Yes. He's the wine, John 6. Uh-huh. He talks about the lilies of the field. And he says even Solomon didn't have the fancy clothes like the lilies do. Yes. It's a paraphrase. Yes. Wheat, he talks about seeds. And he talks about stars. He, he calls himself the bright and morning star in Revelation twenty two sixteen 16. In Psalm eighty four eleven. he is... A shield and the Sun and in Malachi he's the son of righteousness and then he tells his disciples that he's the light of the world and he talks about uh, a, a variety of other things in the physical universe when he's trying to talk about himself so I'm, I'm I'm extending this a little bit and saying what what would these entities if Jesus came to us today and said what the kingdom of heavens is like corona borealis great wall or yeah. the new heavens and the new earth will be far greater than anything that you've seen in the cosmos anything more vast anything more beautiful anything more stunning than what i've made this is just a foretaste and so all the stuff we're talking about fits into the concept of a physical metaphor yeah for what god is like and Yes, and we did
0: the same thing when we were reading through Job. We were talking about Behemoth and Leviathan. Yeah, right? yeah. Uh, if this is the creator, I, the creature I made, then who can stand against me? As,
1: you know? If this creature is massive and powerful and awesome yes. and terrifying, then what is it like to stand before me?
0: Well, now this is stretching far, far beyond that in size and scale in the universe. Right.
1: I want to note. I want to. What I was just saying. I want to give a quote about uh, about God's action in history. It says. The Bible not only describes God through metaphors, we were just talking about, but also by narrating his actions in history. Yes. From the beginning, Genesis 1, we learn that God is both transcendent and imminent. He is not part of creation, as you said earlier, but he is involved with creation. Right. God's creation, his choice of Abraham, his rescue of Israel at the sea, his judgments on rebellious people, are all part of his great redemptive actions in space and time, that culminate in the work of Jesus.
0: Yes, and there's archaeological evidence, historical evidence, that goes back to the time of Abraham. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So the Bible is historical. And if you look at when the history of writing develops, I think the oldest archaeological evidence we have of Homo sapien writing is about 5,000 years old. So, I, to me, it's one I'd have to go back and look at that. But, but there is ample evidence that some of the earliest paleolithographs may, in fact, be related. Especially in the ancient Near East, may be, in fact, related to Israel and the ancient language of the Israelites.
0: Yes, uh, you and I have looked at the videos of the pattern of patterns of evidence. A great film. Uh, that's a great series of films and a bunch of videos that they have. We really recommend it. But anyway, there's but,
1: there's plenty of history. Yeah. Um, and I was just talking on, on our other podcast uh, coming out in a, in a couple of weeks, uh, Apologetics Profile. I just talked to New Testament or biblical scholar Craig Keener. Okay. And Craig and I were talking about his 10-year-old reference book, uh, the IVP Bible Background Commentary. Okay. It's 777 pages. I read the whole thing. Really? Uh, from from uh, Matthew to Revelation about the cultural background of the New Testament text. It's (laughs) not—so Craig and I talked about that, but it just reminded me, and Craig emphasized, the richness of the historical information that is the New Testament. There's nothing like it in antiquity. In fact, we talked a little bit about Luke and how— Literary and legal scholars, people of ancient history, ancient historical scholars, use Luke and Acts as a primary source for the times and the periods of, of, of that of that day, because Luke gets so much.
0: Yes, it's very detailed. Right, he gives a lot of good historical detail. Yeah.
1: Luke. So we're not just talking about uh, these wonderful structures in the heavens. We're also talking about the God who came down to us in the person of Jesus. To these people at this time, in this place, the God of the universe who made these great walls and these quasars and galaxies and stars took the form of a common slave, as Philippians 2 says. He came to serve, Isaiah 53, the servant, the man of sorrows, Wayne. This is amazing that the God who identifies himself as the man of sorrows is the one who made the stars with his fingers, as David says in Psalm 8, right? And he, he calls them into existence in Genesis 1.14. And he yes. made the stars also. And here's this also, these giant walls of galaxies and quasars. It's amazing. It's absolutely amazing. I'm <laughs> like a is. kid in a candy store when I study this stuff. It's, yes. it's incredible. What an exciting thing for a graduate student to add to the list yes. of things that are too big for the Big Bang.
0: Yeah, so uh, the new things brings up the old questions again. And the, they're talking about Ikea again.
1: They're talking yeah.
0: about the Hercules Corona Borealis again. Mm-hmm. Now that
1: she's discovered th- these
0: recent things.
1: So it seems that the we are in a, a changing and exciting time in terms of how we're understanding the universe. These things, as they continue to be discovered, are continually adding to what seems to be the necessity of us having to change our understanding of the cosmos. Yeah. These things just shouldn't be there in current paradigms. There's just not enough time.
0: It seems more satisfying to me, again, to think of it as just it was complete from the start. So it didn't have to have billions of years to form. Right. So minus these, the these uh, structures.
1: Minus the entropy that has occurred over the last several eons. The Yeah, I eunom- think could have changed some from the beginning. But not a whole lot. But not a whole lot. But it does... Um, we always bring up Martin Harwood, Poor yes. guy. He's, he's our. We should make a, a coffee cup with Martin's face and a quote on it. Yes. We should do that. I'm going to look into that. Ask James if we can do that. <laughs> Martin Harwood. It would be easy to describe stars as being created from nothing. Yes. And that goes for a lot of other things, too. If these things were just instantaneously created, it would... <laughs> does away with all the problems of a yes. long, slow, gradual assumption about how these things may have developed over time. Yes. Yes. All right, Wayne, final thoughts on uh, structures too big for the Big Bang? Well, uh, st-
0: structures are not too big for God. That's right.
1: Uh, no, no structure is too big for God. That's right. I think that's a good way to end it. There is nothing too big. With God, all things are possible. And there is nothing too big for Him. Um Maybe our minds are the ones that need to be stretched a little bit. That's right, yes. <laughs> Open up the mind to the possibility that God exists and God can do and does wonderful things. Yes. So uh, uh, listen to the prophets. Lift up your eyes on high and see who has created these stars. And uh, be informed, be encouraged.
0: He who brings out the starry hosts one by one and calls them each
1: by name. Mm-hmm. And what did he say to Abraham look up at the stars and count them
0: if if indeed you can count them if indeed you can count them yes. your descendants
1: yes. will be like these things will be just <laughs> like them yes as multi- as a as a multitude of the stars in the sky or the, the sand grains on the shore god is a, a wonderful magnificent uh, ferocious terrifying holy and wonderful creator who who loves us and cares for us and has good things for us good works planned for us as Ephesians 2:10 says yes All right, Wayne, we will see you. I think we're going to do this again. Coffee shop right here next time on...
0: Good Heavens.
1: Good Heavens. Good Heavens is a production of Watchman Fellowship Incorporated, Arlington, Texas. For more information on apologetics, cults, world religions and our sister podcast apologetics profile visit watchman.org